Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. If you really don't like it, we'll accept the return. We're all about customer service. That's yeah. We want you to be happy. We'll make sure it's clean. We'll clean it for you. And we'll actually donate it to some of our partners and to people in need. And so some of those have been refugees or women fleeing domestic violence or families. Of, of you know, And it's been a really amazing thing because doing this particularly this time of year can make a lot of impact to someone's life. Great to be back with you for another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their amazing social media support. We're loving having Leadership Victoria as our current sponsor too. Folks I've met who really impressed me often have one thing in common. They've done a Leadership Victoria program at some stage, most likely the Williamson program. Of course, Williamson is just one of their amazing suite of programs and courses, and you should check out the link in our show notes to learn more about these fine offerings and how they can help you develop your leadership skills. To do so, just head to leadershipvictoria.org slash humans of purpose. Be one of the first to head to this page and you'll get a copy of the new book from the Kansas Leadership Center, When Everyone Leads, thanks to the kind folk at Leadership Victoria. When Everyone Leads was a number one new business release on Amazon during launch week and is just a fantastic read. In some brief housekeeping news, we've switched our podcast host from Acast to Podbean, and you may have noticed this from some of the new links we put out. The user experience is just great on Podbean, and if you want to explore our Podbean website, I'll pop a link in the show notes, which offers a fun and different way to engage with the podcast, as well as access to listening on a variety of platforms. I'm also thrilled to announce that we'll be ad-free for the coming months as we've secured sponsorships all the way through until the end of October with some terrific values-aligned organisations helping us to scale and continue our fine work beyond 300 episodes, which is just a few weeks away now. Speaking of which, we will be holding an in-person celebration of the 300th milestone on Friday night, the 22nd of September, which will include plenty of food and drinks, a DJ set from the new sensation DJ 10pm, and all of the all of the Ritz-Carlton of co-work spaces, the Commons Cremorn rooftop overlooking Melbourne. More to come on this to follow. If you'd like to express interest in attending this epic experience and celebration, there's a short EOI form in our show notes to complete, and we'll be able to keep you in the loop if you can fill out that brief form. We do so because places are limited to probably around 50 people from outside of the commons, and we want everyone to have the best chance to come. If we get more than 50 EOIs, we'll see what we can do to crank numbers up. But get in first and get in early. Hit the link in the show notes. This week, I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with David Zwyer, who is the founder at Bonnie. Bonnie is Australia's favourite doona, and it's a timely conversation as we are deep into winter here in Melbourne. So why are we discussing doonas on Humans of Purpose? Well, David sits next to me at the Commons and has really blown me away in terms of his rigour, commitment to excellence and impact as a young, fast-moving startup entrepreneur. Also, you'll hear on the podcast, investing in a Bonnie Doona is investing in better quality of sleep and in a far more affordable and sustainable product that we all use every day. There are great insights in this conversation on the road to solo startup entrepreneurship, being self-funded and having a strong focus on delivering a best-in-class product that focuses on sustainability, impact and ethical practices. 
I can personally attest to the sleep and comfort uplift. My wife, Louise, dog, Cyril, and I have experienced since switching across to the Bonnie Duna a couple of months ago. We have the Everyday Duna, which is much cheaper than similar competitors, more ethically and sustainably made. It fits my bedsheets perfectly and keeps my cold-blooded wife warm and my hot-blooded self cool. Cyril also seems fairly content too, which matters. I'm thrilled to announce that Bonnie are now an official Humans of Purpose partner, and as such, you can get your new Bonnie Duna at 10% off their already affordable prices. All you need to do is head to bonnie.com.au, Choose your Duna at checkout and enter the code Humans of Purpose in the discount code section, and you'll get that wonderful discount and an elite Duna. I'll pop all of this in the show notes and a direct link to the discount shopping experience, exclusively available to you as Humans of Purpose listeners. I hope you enjoy my conversation with David as much as I did. David. Wonderful to be with you this morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Good to be here. Not many people would bring like a full camera set up, so that's very impressive. You know me, <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> Always prepared. Well, look, our story is a funny one. We'll get into our usual format, but I just love the way that we kind of organically connected. I um, moved up to level two with some of the lads after they um, like one day I turned up on level one, they're all gone. And I said to them, oh, Andrew and Dean, um, you know, I thought we were mates. You just sort of left me down on level <laughs> one. And Dean said, we're on level two. Um, there might be a desk for you if you put your hand up. So jumped in between um, what I discovered later was you and, and another graphic designer. And we're just chatting. And I just thought, this bloke, he looks a bit familiar. <laughs> got familiar vibes. And then we got into it and uh, I think um, just took off from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a small world. I think uh, we bonded over a shared connection of sibling <laughs> friends. Yeah, sibling friends. So my sister being um, mates with your sister and then I, I kind of realised as well that, um, you know, the striking resemblance, you pop and you, you, you know, <laughs> knowing you pop. So I thought that was um, just a, just such a funny, like, small world connection, you know? It's funny. Melbourne's a big place, but it is mighty small as well. <laughs> and, like, because you were talking to me about Dunas, I, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, the, the context is just too bizarre. I can't quite put my, <laughs> my head around it, but, nah, so good to um, to be with you today. So let's kick off. Let's talk a little bit. I do want to get into Dunas. I know you do too. I slept really well last night, so thank you in advance. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> maybe before we get into that, what were you doing um, before you started Bonnie? So – I, my background is in marketing. So way back at uni, which I guess wasn't that way back ago, but I did study marketing and I, I enjoyed it. And from, from there, I actually ended up getting a job at Moose Toys and Moose for me, it was, it was awesome. I loved it. Working for a kid's toy company. It's fantastic. I was there for five years and, um, amongst other things that I kind of did as side hustles, um, that really was a strong formative time for me, but it also had a lot of fun. Like there's a lot of meetings where you're discussing like fart noises on toys, for example. Yeah. I find that hard to conceptualize a meeting around uh, whoopee cushions. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real meeting that's had. In fact, I was in a, in a voice recording in a studio, not dissimilar to the one we're in now, probably a bit more high tech even. <laughs> oh, well, look out. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to be offering you such uh, meager surroundings. And um, there was a voice actor in there and obviously you know, there was a few lines and whatever they had to read, but there was like also a burp in the script and it's like, so, so do you want me to do the burp? And we're like, well, we can just use like sound effect. And it's like, no, like I'm really good. I can, it has I can to be a real burp. And then he like 
does a series of 10 belches of like full guttily burps. Whoa. Like, like not just like a burp, the alphabet burp, like a real Is deep. this like a voice actor with like who specializes in burping? Is that like a thing? Well, apparently. <laughs> Well, wasn't on his resume, but should have been. You know, I think this is – we've only done 294 episodes. We've never discussed burping or farting for this much time. So, kudos. Yeah, I'm glad I set the record early. <laughs> but that does sound like a lot of fun. And what drew you to um, – was it just sort of happenstance, the, the kids' toys? It was a little bit happenstance. So, I think there's a – I did an applied degree at university and the third year of the applied degree is work experience. And I thought I'd teed something up at a digital agency and that was kind of the path I was going to go on. And the work experience, it needs to be five days a week or four days a week, full-time job, needs to be paid. So it's not the simplest and it needs to be for about 12 months. Um, And I thought I'd teed something up with this digital agency. It ended up falling through and I had about three or four weeks left to find a job or else I'd have to drop out of the applied course and just go to the normal marketing degree. And I met with Moose, had an interview, and then at the end of the interview I'm like, so I kind of need to know like the next week or two. And as it happened, they uh, took a chance on me and um, it all worked out. Yeah, look, you it doesn't strike me it would have been taking much of a chance. You, you got bright, bubbly sort of toy company energy. So that's cool. I was pretty green though. There was, yeah. you know, I had a little bit of experience, but it, they definitely did. You and know, you stayed there for quite a while. Five years. And I think that was also a big part of, my journey is by staying there for so long, I was given really amazing opportunities. I think the Melbourne marketing team grew from like eight when I first started to probably 20, 30 plus even um, in the time I was there. And I, I got a lot of career progression. I went from a you know marketing coordinator, almost assistant through to a global brand manager. And so it was a really exciting time. There was travel, there was toy fairs, there was lots of fun in between as well. So why give up on the toy dream? I was ready for change. I think, you know, I loved who I worked with. I loved the place, but I was ready for the next challenge. And for me, I actually, when I left Moose, I was really transparent with how I was feeling and that I was ready for that next step. And they were really good about it too, you know, whether it was like an internal secondment or different opportunities like that. And in the end, we, and it wasn't just me, it was actually me and my manager as well, came to the conclusion that it was probably time for me to take a leap and go to the next thing. And they were really transparent about it. So I dropped down to part-time, trained up um, the person replacing me. I left with the intention to take some time off to just recalibrate, think, and kind of also work out what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to go to like venture capital or agency or to brand again or to a startup or to start my own thing. And after four or five weeks, I kind of took that time, spoke to lots of different people, And I came to the conclusion that I wanted to start my own business. And at that point, it's quite daunting to go from like, okay, I want to start a business to like what that business is. And did you, let me just stop you for a sec. Did you feel like, how did you approach that period of like nothing? Like, so you needed, you felt that you needed time to really take the time to explore what you might do next. Was that hard for you to make that call? Because some, some people I know are sort of on the hamster wheel with work and sort of finances and everything and feel like that if they're not working, they might turn to dust. So I, um, it was a really hard decision. Like there is no sugarcoating that. Yep. Um, you know, I, not I, like I, I was young, but like I was living out of home. I had bills. I had all of that stuff. Yep. I was somewhat insulated because I, I'd been there for so long and 
this was mid-21, mid-2021. So I had a lot of annual leave built up because of that COVID era. So I also kind of had a bit of a runway of of payout, like all of that payout, I guess. Um, the challenge for me was probably just wrapping my head around how I break up that time. And so I kind of took that first four weeks as zero pressure. I'm not applying for jobs. I'm not trying to do anything that like was – there wasn't a, a metric per se that I was trying to like hit. Like I'm looking to get into 10 job interviews. That yep. wasn't it. It was more about making sure that I was constantly catching up with different people and yeah. all of whom were really interesting. And from every conversation I kind of had a goal of – can they suggest someone else I can talk to? Hmm. And so then I kind of had an end, endless stream of people to talk to and discuss with. So you set aside a month for that? Yeah, and it was quite casual. I was doing one or two a week like it wasn't. And then probably after four weeks I ramped it up to four or five a week. Yeah. Um, it was time to kind of settle back into reality. <laughs> um, but that was a really important step and I can't emphasize that enough. Like, Do you recommend it to others highly. If, if they're sort of at a crossroads? Because I know, it, look, even people um, at my state, you know, like n- nearly turning 40, uh, I think people sort of feel like, oh, I need to go straight from the one thing to the next. I need to be constantly moving. But I am seeing more people kind of now taking that month or two to really think hard about what comes next and making a really intentional call. Intentional is such a good word because I think – you know, it's really easy to be like, I'm done, I'm out, and dust your hands off and say, like, I need time off. But I think the way I approached it, I would highly recommend, which is, you know, talk to your employer, talk to your manager about how you're actually feeling, and obviously you need that relationship with your manager. Um, but it that conversation almost started while I was still working at Moose of like, well, what's my next step? What does my career look like? And it's it's hard because I wasn't sure that I wanted to stay in marketing. And to to an extent, like I, I'm not because I'm a CEO, founder, whatever you want to call it, but I am. And that's such an essential part of what I do. The Yeah, I, that's the main one. Yeah, no, you've nailed it. And so when you were thinking about what to do next, I mean, obviously you've got all the marketing skill set and all the tools Why did you end up deciding to be a founder? And then we'll get to the why do this question after that. I think for me, I took that time off and I came to the conclusion that A, I wanted autonomy and that was really important and B, I wanted to create a lifestyle for myself while also being able to create a salary and not just for myself. I think as a founder, I want to be able to create a business that not only delivers on the bottom line, i.e. generates cash and revenue and profit, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also can actually create a really amazing life for many people because- you know, hopefully one day I'll have, who knows, dozens of employees, maybe more, maybe less, I don't know. But how brilliant would it be if I could create a business, a thing yeah. that creates people's lives? Like, yeah, and, dude, and, you, you reek a founder. Like, I don't know how you could have <laughs> chosen anything else, to be honest. You've got the whole, like, um, young, upstart, visionary, but mature, <laughs> like, kind of technical. You've got the package. So I, I have no doubt that it was the, the right choice for you. Were you scared at all about, like, you know, the idea? Were you, were you more excited or scared about the idea of starting out as a founder? Excited. Definitely excited. I think I have been scared at various points along the journey and I've had anxiety around that, like, around decision-making. But that decision I was very confident in and that, gave me a lot of strength almost and confidence too. 
Did you have to convince others in your life of that? Yeah, at certain points for sure. I think there's we're kind of focusing on that moment where I said, we're focusing on that moment where I decided to go down a business, but there's also a gap between when I decided to go down a business to when I decided to do Dunas. And I think the convincing probably happened more at the Duna phase. At the Duna phase, exactly. And that's, I mean, I guess that's part of the big question. So deciding to be a founder is one thing. And like, what was your kind of journey that got you to Dunas? So as you can imagine, when you say, (laughs) I want to start a business, there's a million ideas. I'm going to start a unicorn. Yeah. well, Begins tomorrow. That's it. And there's so many ideas and there were so many random ones. And, And I'll give you a really easy example, right? And for all the audience and listeners out there, feel free to run with it. But as part of my last job, we built out a YouTube channel. And it was a YouTube channel that would have half a million subscribers. Like That's quite, solid. Yeah, quite significant. Dude. And, and I started it with my team, but from zero. Like it was a genuinely a brand new account when I arrived at Moose. Mm. And one of the things I saw is the power of YouTube and how it can generate revenue and how you can have these kind of alternative business models where – you can kind of do a revenue share as well. Um, and so, you know, you think about sports in Australia in particular, take Cricket Australia, take the AFL, take rugby. They all have 50, 60 years of digital catalogues of content and it's all sitting there and it's not being monetized. Or maybe it is a little bit, but it's not being monetized effectively. Yeah. So you effectively have all the content you need to start a YouTube channel. How interesting would it be to partner with, One of them, for example, and that could be a business model in itself. Um, And you see that a lot in the kids' space, uh, repurposing cartoons from 20, 30 years ago and relaunching them and then licensing deals from them. Uh, So there's a very big difference between that and Dunas. And so there was a point in time where I said, hang on, hang on, i got to take a step back. What am I best in the world at? What can I do? So were you actually thinking about going down the YouTube path? That was one idea. I had literally a document of 20 or 30 ideas. Which is like the best way to kind of decide on something. Like you don't want to just like, oh, I had this idea, I'm going to run with it. (laughs) Like hopefully that's not how people think. You know, you kind of have to though. Like you got to run with it for a very short period of time. Yeah. And you you test it. Yeah, exactly. You can't just be like, oh, um, I was walking outside and like I noticed there were too many leaves on the sidewalk. So I'm going to create like a kind of like a leave um, vaporization business. Like that, that's probably not a great way to kind of think of a winning startup. No, but say you came up with a leaf vaporization business, do the exercise. Yeah. Like, what would it look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that balance of when to say no and when like yeah. that, that, that's the hard there's, thing. I think I think about it in terms of gates. Like what are the gates that I need yeah. to pass through in order for this to continue? Like what tests does it need to fulfill? And uh, I always like to use the the example that Frankie Layton from Dirt um, gave on, on the podcast a long time ago. I use it constantly. But um, she, when she was deciding whether to launch her uh, product line, uh, her, her um, circular economy sort of line of products, um, detergent and whatnot, she went to the supermarket aisle and with a spreadsheet and like did this spreadsheet with had like um, 15 lines um, across different categories. And she had to say, she had to be able to tick that her product is better than every single product there that does the same thing across like 15 different dimensions and only if it passed that gate would she continue with that product and she did that's brilliant and they're going gangbusters so i mean for me it's sort of like you know there are just there are gates and for me i realized i had to filter and it wasn't necessarily that that youtube idea was a bad idea it's 
am I the best person to do that YouTube idea? Great question. Fantastic question. Because there is a differentiation. So for me, I kind of took that step back. I said, I'm really good at brand building. I'm really good at marketing and creating assets for brands. I'm great. I can create content, websites. In my previous life, I did some graphic design and video work, which is why I have such a fancy tripod. So I've got this ability to create content. It's a lovely tripod. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, you know, even everything from logo making I've done before. um, And that all kind of made sense that a physical product, you know, was the right choice. And also at Moose, as a global brand manager, I was very intimately involved in the product process and the product design and development process. And that exposure, you know, manufacturing a dune is easy compared to complex plastic electronic toys. Whoopee cushions are hard. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, you know, we, we've done, you know, farting electronic monsters before. I knew the whoopee cushion would evolve given the emerging tech AI era we're in, but I, you know, know, I, I, know. I also thought hopefully it might disappear, but you know. And, and like the products that we manufactured at Moose were amazing. And I'm not going to pretend like I know how to manufacture them. There's product designers and product managers who did that, but getting the insight into how they interacted with the factory, how they costed items, how they drew up technical specifications for all of their toys I've seen all of that. So to create my own version of that for a far simpler item is within my skill set. And, and so I was really inspired by a specific brand. Have you heard of Bala Bangles before? No. So I love what they did, which is they are like, they started as wrist and ankle weights. And if you think about the people who use them, they're mostly women who do yoga, Pilates, things like that. They love to go on Instagram. And when you think about weights at the gym, they're extremely masculine, they're extremely ugly. And they said, well, fundamentally, we need a weight to do the same thing. A two kilo weight needs to still weigh two kilos. But what if we make it beautiful? What if we wrap it in this amazing brand and make the physical product look, you know, something that's Instagrammable? Can't can't stop thinking about who gives a crap while you tell this story. Yeah. And that's exactly a great example as well. But they effectively found 50% of the, of the population yep. who aren't interested in a product that exists, but they want to use it. And so that I've, I took a lot of inspiration from, you know, it's not a hard product to design. It's a mm. weight that weighs two kilos that mm. looks beautiful. Yeah. So I needed to find my version of that. Mm. And I put a few parameters around it, kind of similar in, in a different- In a Frankie style. A yeah. little bit. Um, and I kind of said I wanted it to be a product that's hundreds of dollars, not tens of dollars, mm. so I can absorb things like cost of shipping and things like yep. that. And I also wanted a product that almost everyone in Australia uses. Yeah, I love that. So that's my favourite thing about it is I like people and founders who choose products that are already like they're never going to go out of business. So I don't think people are going to stop sleeping anytime soon. Do you? <laughs> I'm not so sure. No, I, I, I think you might be on something. <laughs> so, I mean, look, you know, in times like these, what a great space to be in, like an essential product. It's not a luxury. I mean, it is in, its, in that it's awesome, but like, you know, it's an essential product that every household has multiples of. 100%. And I think the way I've probably priced it, it probably is a little bit of a luxury. Like yeah. I think the essentials probably like what a Kmart or Target would sell, which quality-wise is very different. But what you touch on is something I reflect upon as more like investment versus risk, which obviously to start a product-based business, there's a lot of investment that has to go in because you need to manufacture a product and that does cost money. And generally there's minimum order quantities as well. So it's not like I can just 
produce a few and then see how it goes and yeah. take on, yeah. Fair bit of inventory. Exactly. And so there's risks involved. And what were you seeing? Like, what were the compelling reasons why Dunas weren't working? Like, you know, in terms of the gap that was there in market, was it sort of something that you'd experienced yourself and thought, oh, you know, I'm not really satisfied with my own Duna or it was more sort of market research? So I've been with my partner for a long time, but <laughs> she, I remember when she first slept over at my house and she, or whatever it was, but she came over and she's like, wow, your Duna's amazing. And she had grew, grew up sleeping with wool Dunas yeah. and my Duna was a down Duna. Yeah. And for whatever reason that, stuck with me that she really liked that doona. And it's funny because people who sleep with down doonas love them, but there's a huge proportion of people who've never slept with one. Or probably don't know what's in their doona. Exactly. Yeah. And and that. And so when I eventually landed on doonas, I said, hang on a minute. Does anyone know anything about doona? Like when did you last buy a doona? Like can you even remember? Oh, uh, was it are you asking? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it was at 40 winks. Um and like it was not a like overly enjoyable experience. It just chose what to like you just ask the basic questions like, you know, I get too hot, she gets too cold, yeah. something in the middle. And you're asking those questions. There's no there's no ability for you to assess. No. And there's no, it's completely asymmetric information. They just, they just go like, all right, get that one. And like, you just, because you don't know anything about it. Yeah. You're just on this, you just want to get out of 40 Winks as soon as possible, essentially. No offense to 40 Winks. That's just a general like <laughs> Manchester shopping situation. No, and, no one really wants to be in a bedding shop messing around on a Saturday. And other than Bonnie, could you name a Duna brand? Uh, no, no, I can't. So the retailers really own the Duna space. And yeah. if you think about almost any other product, that probably isn't true. Yeah. And so, you know, there might be, you know, Mecca as a shop, but you're and, and they might have home brands, but you could probably name, you know, a half dozen as a man, half dozen to a dozen beauty brands. Maybe if you know there'd I, be I people probably who could name a hundred. I, I should be able to. And equally, you know, if you go to a supermarket, you're not buying Coles laundry detergent. You probably could name three or four brands of laundry detergent. But that's not the case in Dunas. Mm. And everyone I asked kept saying, I'm not sure. I don't know. So it was there. There was an opportunity there. An educational opportunity as well. Yeah. So it's brand, there's information, there's product quality, and there's also- Optimization opportunity. And there's also the ethical piece. Which, you know, I, I think a lot of young people probably, you know, 40 and under, let's say, but. You Thank know, you for if, including if, me, David. Yeah, if you're over 40, Appreciate that's okay. That, uh, categorization. Um, but if a lot of young people care a lot about sustainability and where their products come from mm. and how they're sourced, and I don't think that the market or the products in market are really talking to a young person that way. No, they're not. I mean, the most circular economy thing I've ever seen was like one of the places had like a sign that said, we also work with the service and if you want to get rid of your doona, it's very hard to do, so just call this number, which which is like something but like very little attention paid to kind of like the supply chain impact or second-order impact of doona's disposal use, you know, what's in them. And we want to create a product that lasts a long time as well. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to, you know. You didn't let into the Apple's obsolescence method? No, that was exactly what you I was about to, get to say. You have to get a new, do you want to subscribe? You can get a new one in two years. No, for the price that you're paying <laughs> and for the for how you use the product, it really should last five to ten years, if yeah. not longer, if you really take care of it. Yeah. So I'm like I'm excited to see how that evolves over time. There's some initiatives like circular economy initiatives that we just simply need scale to be able to achieve. Yeah. And so in five years, hopefully, we'll have the scale to really like take 
that piece to another level as well. Yeah, look, it, it's very exciting. And, and so let's talk a bit about the sort of social impact or the element around that that you're doing. So what what is different about Bonnie Dooners versus what else is on the market in terms of sustainability, ESG, and social impact? So let's start with the product and how we source it, and then we can kind of move into some of the other factors sure. as well. So down, there's a couple issues that are kind of endemic to like the down industry. And the first is live plucking of birds, which is absolutely heinous and is not a practice that we ever want to be. Not recommended. No, part of. And then the the second is force feeding. And the force feeding is typically for foie gras. So fancy, fancy food, basically. Mm, mm. And in Europe, that tends to be more common. And uh, the live plucking actually is quite uncommon as a general statement. But it's talked about a lot. And it is a, a genuine risk. And we don't want so what we have is a res- we're responsible down standard certified, and that means every step of the supply chain from the farm all the way through to the factory and then on onto our supplier, the entire supply chain needs to be RDS certified the mm-hmm. whole way through. And then what we have, which is a, a unique um, to our products in Australia at least, is we've got a track my down feature. So every one of our products comes with a little lot number. Did you see that on yours? Yeah, I, I like I can speak about the box opening experience. It was magical. But you go on. You're, you're, the, you're the founder. So you get a little lot number included with each of our products and you pop that into this website called trackmydown.com and it basically provides unbelievable amounts of information about where your your down from inside the dunas come from, what what it's made from, what it consists of because down's rarely pure 100% down. It normally is mixed with a portion of feathers, um, what certifications it has, how it's cleaned, what what the cleaning results are and how to clean, you know, down. There's a there's a little funny thing about down, which is we talk about the quality of it, but we very rarely talk about how it's processed. Mm. And this might be bore you. I'm sorry, but no, no. the um, how it's processed is also its own technical uh, and environmental impact. And you know, our supplier, for example, they recycle all the water that's used as part of the cleaning process of the down. That's really cool. It is really cool, but no one talks about that and there's no other brand even thinking about this. Yeah, and, like, that is um, a very, like, good strategy, I feel, and, like, I, I know I obsess about who gives a crap, but, like, they, for me there's just so much similarity of, like, a, a sort of garden variety everyday product that just could be so much more and I feel like that's what you've done with the Duna. The other brand, Australian brand, I take a lot of inspiration from is July. Like I think- yeah, oh, mate, I bloody love July. Now you're speaking my language. I have their suitcase. <laughs> my wife steals it every time she goes to a conference. I love July. And how they make you feel when you have the suitcase. It's better than everyone else has a suitcase. And that's it. Like, I don't that's know. That's how I feel in my Bonnie Doona. Well, hopefully. That, but that's <laughs> the magic that, you know, we as marketers strive yeah. to yeah, achieve yeah, yeah. as well. And that's good. Like, and you can see, you look, we sit next to each other. So you've seen the kind of stuff that I look at and vice versa. And we have a lot of overlap in the things we like. But just to speak to the unboxing experience, like, bloody hell, that was nice. Like, to get the Bonnie box, you're very kind that you provided me with a Doona for, for myself and Louise, and you're in our partner affiliate community, which is just amazing because it's just such a well-aligned brand. It's purposeful. It has impact, but it's also really serving a, a really important market need. Um, and the experience was just like getting it and coming home and then opening it, and you've got the track the impact thing, which is very exciting. It's really nicely wrapped. It comes in like this tightly, you know, yoga mat style shaping thing, and it just rolls out. Um, and what I like about the aesthetics is that feature where you've got you know which direction it goes in because of the sort of quilting. 
So what we do on our dunas, for those who haven't seen them yeah. before, we've got this kind of asymmetric wave patterns. So yep. If you imagine it comes out wide like an hourglass and comes in narrow. Yeah. And that it's there's two purposes of that. One is it acts like the box design in that it holds the down in place. But as Mike was saying, it doubles as this really funny thing that everyone complains about but no duna company is talking about, yeah. which is it's so annoying. Which to... way does the duna go? <laughs> Just tell me. So we have finally come <laughs> up with that solution. So if that's annoying, you should definitely check out one of our dunas. Why, why is why is no other Duna company addressed that? It's just, it just seems like a no-brainer. In my opinion, I think that there's um, products out there that work. And, you know, I don't know if you've sw- heard much or thought about design thinking much. Yeah. But I don't think anyone's challenging the status quo. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because there's kind of just like these big places that just mass produce stuff. No, but that's really cool. And so that, and then a few other things to mention about the Duna experience, it fits perfectly to the sheet spec size that you recommended. So we've got the King and like other Dunas just don't fit properly. Which is like Like, bizarre. (laughs) Which is like, if you're a Duna, shouldn't you know, like, shouldn't you tell people which way you go and also be certain that you fit the sheets that you're the same size as? But they don't. It doesn't. What the hell? I'm at a loss for words yeah. for you. Like, it's, just, it's just a bizarre failing of user experience, which you've been able to rectify. The other thing I want to say is the thinness of the Duna versus the warmth it creates. My wife, Louise, very sceptical lady. We got the Duna and she said to me, there's no way this is going to be able to keep me warm enough. But I was thrilled because I was like, this is not going to make me too hot. So I knew I was going to win. The question was, is she going to be satisfied or is she going to make us change back? So she actually put the um, the backup doona or the reserve doona in the other room and just like had it waiting there, like expecting this experiment to fail. I was like, you don't know. You, you just clearly, we've been married for like, you know, 10 years plus. You don't, <laughs> you don't know me. I, when it comes to products, I want the best. And so like, you know, if I bring home a product, you got to back me in a little bit. So anyway, she she the next night woke up in the morning. She's like, "I can't believe it's so warm, but it's so thin. How am I? How is it producing this warmth? You have to ask David for me." So that is the magic of Dow, simply. And and I think there's there's a little caveat here, which is we got we're trying to create a really fluffy product. Yeah. But because of how we pack them to ship them, we have to kind of squish them down, roll them up. And so the first night, when you first take it out, it, you'll be like, this looks quite thin and yep. have that reaction. But have you noticed every night since it's kind of been getting fluffier and fluffier as well? Yeah, a little bit. But I'm just I, – I love it. Like, I mean, it's made a huge difference to my quality of sleep and just enjoy getting into bed with it. It's a very comfortable blanket. Um you also know that I'm a big Bulls and Jordan fan. And yes. when I saw your the quote that um, – you what was it? You you miss 100% of the sleeps you don't – the snoozes you don't take. Was that it? That's it. Yeah, love that. Love it. So you had me hooked with like the quirky banter, the impact tracking, plus the opening experience. But then the actual like usage experience was optimal. And um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's no accident we've invited you into our partner community. <laughs> it's just an epic product. Well, one of the other key initiatives for us on the impact front is, you know, we do accept 14-day free returns on our dunas, which is something that's quite unique to our product. Yeah. Most retailers don't accept returns for dunas. It's kind of like a hygiene issue. We kind of take the burden and say, look, if you really don't like it, we'll accept the return. We're all about customer service. That's, yeah. We want you to be happy. We'll make sure it's clean. We'll clean it for you. And we'll actually donate it to some of our partners and to people in need. And so some of those have been refugees or women fleeing domestic violence or families of, of you know, and... It's been a really amazing thing because 
Doing particularly at this time of year, can make a lot of impact to someone's life. Yeah. Look, it's tremendous. And, and so when you do something like this, obviously you're talking about the scale and require the inventory and the sort of startup cost. How did you fund it and why have you made the decision not to take external funding at this stage? I'm in a in a very lucky and fortunate position where, you know, I, I'm able to self-fund pretty much all of it. It's, you know, there's a lot of glamorization about, oh, you should go after VC funding or, you know, just angel investment even. And I think that for some people that path can make a lot of sense. But in my opinion, for the business that I'm building, I actually think given that I don't need to seek funding, I don't think it would help me grow my business necessarily. You know, I've caught up with a few people who might be interested at various points to put in capital um, to, to divest or to you know relinquish some level of control and freedom. It's not necessarily what I'm after in terms of what I'm building. And yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm very lucky that I don't need that investment. Yeah, but, it's but you're a, running a successful business, so you're, you know, you've and talked first, to me about your numbers. Well, I'm first order profitable. Yeah, and so that's unusual for a lot of e-commerce businesses because they rely on subscriptions. That's right. And so I would almost say, like, when when you describe yourself as a startup, I'd call you more of like a successful small business startup, like rather than a conventional like explosive growth kind of lot of hype startup. We're definitely trying to bootstrap and be profitable early. And yep. I think that there's still that push-pull of revenue versus profit and like the network effect. Yeah. So for example, I could, you know, I, for those who aren't familiar with marketing, but you can pay a lot more to acquire a customer or you can pay a lot less. Typically, the more volume you do, the more expensive that customer is. And so for me, I could in theory scale up my marketing and operate on tighter margins. Um there's a fine push-pull between the two because the network effect is real, which is you're sleeping with a Bonnie Doona. If you go and talk about it with someone and they're sleeping with a Bonnie Doona, all of a sudden you've got a conversation. And if you're at a dinner party, it makes makes a much bigger difference. Yep. Um, Word of mouth and virality is also, I think, a huge factor here. And that, like, R score that we had a lot in COVID, you know, the reproduction rate, which is um, – True as well. It's like how many people will recommend a doona on average and convince someone else to buy that they know? Yeah, like there's not many people bantering about the quality of their doonas. So I think there's an open space for you there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, how do you know if you're succeeding? <laughs> Depends on the day. I think as an e-commerce, and this is quite unique to e-commerce, you see your results daily, hourly, and obviously weekly, monthly, yearly, like every other business. But it is really hard to zoom out sometimes. You know, you can have a day where sales are relatively really weak and you feel like you're failing, but that's not true because if you look zoom out on a weekly basis, your weekly averages are fine um, or positive even or really good. So there are elements where, you know, you have that self-doubt sometimes. For me, you know, the validations, the early validation was like in really positive product reviews. Yeah. Yeah, 4.9 or something. It's outrageous. Yeah. like there's It's even better than my Uber rating. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> so, I'm very polite. Yeah, I bet. I noticed. Um, <laughs> no, but the, the reviews are an amazing, like, I remember when my first review came in from a stranger and I was just thinking like, this is such a nice review. It's the best, isn't it? When, when randos tell you that they like, sorry, um, you know, the customers that you don't already Thank know, you. it's probably more <laughs> appropriate, um, tell you that they like what you're doing. It's like just massive. And for the first hundred or so orders, I called up every single person who ordered 
and I kind yes, of yeah. spoke to them and found out, you know, they think why it was weird that you called them. Yeah. They like it. Maybe they thought it was weird when they first answered and they say, Hey, did you know we've only been in business for a week, two weeks? And they're like, What? No, I thought you'd been, you know. And some people were happy to chat for five, 10 minutes, which is quite surprising given how quickly we all move and distracted we are and busy we are. It's really, that was pretty amazing validation. I would love that experience. That's never happened to me, but I would really like it. Um, yeah, like I think that's special, that yeah. sort of customer touch point. And I think that might be part of the answer. So there's the numbers. When I asked you about how do you know you're being successful, there's the metrics, but then there's also the customer feedback. The, the part that I'd like to know about is how do you reflect on yourself um, as a founder and whether you're achieving what you set out to achieve on a more kind of macro, wider lens level? Do you check in with yourself often? Do you check in with others? So I set myself a goal for 2022. So I launched July 2022, so six months-ish. And the goal was to have, you know, proven out that I've got a really good product, to prove out that I'm able to sell the product, and also to prove out that operationally the business can work. And there's a few things I've done to streamline it operationally um, since then, but also even before I launched, things like ready-to-ship packaging, um, which is something I picked up from working with Amazon in the US. But those goals, I kind of took that time in January and February to step back and go, the product good? Yes. I've got lots of five-star reviews. I've spoken to lots of people. It's good. Can I sell it? I'm like, yeah, I've got a decent amount of volume. And operationally, like I could pack orders really quick. Mm-hmm. Like there was that element of it. I, you know, and but I did recognize that I needed to change where I worked from. And that's the impetus that led me to the commons, which is where we are here recording. I also recognized that I needed help with digital ads. That was an area where I felt I was failing. It's an area that I, although I'm a marketer, I actually haven't done much performance marketing. And so that's something that, you know, I found someone who can help me with that. And coincidentally, that was at the commons. So that moving workplaces also helped me solve the other goal. And then this year, the goal has has been a little bit different, which is I need to scale. Like this winter is my key selling period. Mm. How big can I go? How much can I spend on ads profitably and really push this business and so far, we've we've keep pushing on the pedal harder and it keeps going quicker, which is a really positive sign. Tell me a bit about the sort of network effects of community and how that's helped. I mean, being in a co-work space, being around other young founders and entrepreneurs, um, being able to do that in this sort of setting. So previously, I was working out of a co-warehousing space. And if you're not familiar with co-warehousing, I don't, have you ever been to a lock-up storage like the storage facility. Sounds gritty. No, yeah. no. Okay. So it's like long hallways. Mm. It, it's a bit fancier than that, but they're big hallways with roller doors, like yeah. garage style doors. And the spaces vary from 10 square meters to 300. And you can do whatever you want in there. You can put up a warehouse, you can put desks in. Oh yes. I know. I have yep. heard of this. Yep. But you're in a warehouse and mm. it's quite isolating. Even though there's people around you, the nearest desk is quite far away because they're on the other side of a roller door or yep. even further. And there's people in there who are working full-time and there's people in there who are doing side hustles. But moving to a a space like where we are now is almost everyone's working full-time in here most days a week. If you're paying for it, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And the people that you meet in in a space like this is really pivotal because, like I mentioned before, the guy, who Matt, who runs my ads, is brilliant. Love working with him. I only met him because of the proximity in which we work. Um, equally, you know, there's other founders around me and 
to you be got a- me to your right, which is pretty awesome. That's weird. I, I think I talk to you too much. Like, I feel like sometimes you, you've got your earphones in, but I really want to show you something or tell you something. No, I respect that. I okay, love cool. a chat. Cool. I love a chat. We're good. We're good. Yeah. No, but having other e-commerce founders as well who yeah. are on the same journey as me, I, I, I love catching up. And I think it's just awesome. Like, and like to add to that, I mean, I think about even myself, like the people I'm surrounded by, like two graphic designers or three, mm-hmm. yourself, another founder, Jared, sort of behind, yes. who will be on soon. And then, you know, um, half of you guys are going to become part of the partner affiliate community at Humans of Purpose. So, you That's know, brilliant. it's just, it's just like for me, you're awesome. And we're like, so grateful to be part of that as well. Yeah. And, you know, it, even just having someone next to you to validate, like as a solo founder, mm. sometimes you look at things on your screen, you're like, is this right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I love, I actually really enjoy uh, working with founders and giving feedback, doing advisory stuff and mentoring. And, you know, that's a space I plan to be more involved in soon. Um, but like, you know, it's kind of just like enjoyable to help people, you know, realize their dream. 100%. And I think there's an element of, if you want to take, you also have to give. Yeah. And by that, I mean, there were really early days in Bonnie where I called up some people and asked for help and they were so obliging and so helpful. And they'd talk with me for you know half an hour, an hour, and just work through issues, problems, solutions. And I think it's really important that I offer that back to more people and, you know, who might be 12 months behind me or whatever it is, mm. because at the end of the day, you know, we all have, a community to to be in and and it's amazing when you foster that community and the positive outcomes that can come from that how do you manage your day obviously you've got so many things you want to achieve as a founder so what like do you sort of how do you set yourself up morning day what you want to set out to achieve for the day and then sort of night time is it different every day is it the same so i've recognized a few things one is I have to be active. If I'm not active, then my mind doesn't work as well. Yeah. I have to sleep. Same same issue. Yeah. And With the doona preferably. Preferably, you do yes. Not. Almost always. <laughs> In fact, always. I just go with always. <laughs> yeah, sleeping's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one that I, I personally have realized as well is if I'm not in a work zone, i.e. like if I'm not being productive, I need to recognize that and say, no, I actually need to get away from my desk, go for a 10-minute walk, 20-minute walk, reset, and come back with renewed focus and energy. So for me, I'm not a morning person. I'm not ashamed to say I'm not a morning person. It might be early this morning, but generally speaking, I prefer to start later and I find I'm more productive throughout the day if I start later. Mm. So typically that means I'll start work between 10 and 10.30. Also means I I miss peak hour traffic. It's awesome. Yeah. And then on a typical day, I'll kind of finish between six and seven. Mm. Um, so it is kind of nine to five, but just pushed back a little bit. Yeah. In terms of sports or exercise, I find my best way of exercising is by committing to something. And usually that's social sports and team sports. Yeah. So I play field hockey, I train once a week, I play on Sundays, I play futsal once a week, and then I've got a personal training session with my girlfriend, actually, that we have once a week. So that's like four fixed sessions that I'm locked in for for it's exercise. Great. So like there's that rigidity of starting at 10, 10, 30, and then there's the rigidity of having like things on on weeknights to do and exercise. And those two things really set up my week for success. That's well said and very well structured too. So very excited, um, not just for myself to keep enjoying your doona, but for our community of listeners to also have uh, the opportunity to enjoy your doona. What, what are you going to do for the community? 
So we have partnered. We're going to do 10% off. Lovely. So if you use the code humans of purpose at checkout at bonnie.com.au, we and Bonnie is spelled B-O-N-N-Y, we will give you 10% off your order. So if you're fitting out your house, if you just feel like you need an upgrade and you're cold this winter, then you know it's a great opportunity. But we also like it's typically me on the on the online chat as well on the website. So if you have questions about your Duno or which one to buy. We're here for you. We really try and make it easy, though. Mm. So there's only three products. There's an all-rounder, which is like our year-round most popular one. That works for like 95% of people. Is that what I've got? That's what you've got. Yeah, it's great. And then we've got our summer weight. And say if you're in a much warmer climate, you might prefer to use that year-round. And we also have a winter weight. And the reason why we call them summer and winter is people actually like to sleep with two different dunas and they swap with the seasons. Mm. Um, So we did a survey of about 100 people that, I mean, might be skewed based on, you know, my community, but about 30% of people swap their dunas with their seasons. Hmm. Um, so that's also an option as well. So you can bundle the summer and winter together, which is kind of like the most luxurious option yeah. to get the warmest and, yeah. and the most breathable in summer. Um, but that's $100 off. So we'll give you 10% off plus the $100 off. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a special offer. So, yeah. I mean, for myself, I can say that it's made a tremendous difference to my quality of sleep, which is important for my life. I love the product. I think uh, the link to you as a person is just awesome. Like it's it's very cool owning a product where you can tie it directly to the person that you sit next to or have heard on a podcast. So, highly recommend anyone who's listening to jump on board that great offer. And you'll also be on our partners page. You already are there. So, we'll, we'll just get the link active uh, <laughs> on the logo. Nice. Um, and yeah, terrific to be with you. And thanks for your time today, mate. I love chatting and anytime. So how can people connect with you if they want to and learn a bit more about your your work on a personal level? So obviously, you know, it, as Bonnie's quite small, yep. if you hit up Bonnie's support email, it's probably going to be me answering it at the moment. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. If you reach out on LinkedIn, leave a little message that you listen to the podcast and happy to have a chat with whoever really we will find the time, we'll make it work. And I really encourage anyone who's looking to start either a business or specifically an e-commerce business to reach out. would love to have a chat. David's got great marketing, founder insights, Duna insights. And look, I mean, it's the second week of uh, winter now. What what better time to update your Duna? So get on board, hit the link, um, get involved with Bonnie and experience a better quality of sleep and a better quality of day the next day. Love it. <laughs> Good close? Brilliant close. Unscripted, unscripted. <laughs> Thanks for coming, mate. Pleasure. See you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.